All right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mining Matters, a mine safety podcast presented by Fisher Phillips. My name is Chris Peterson, and with me, as always, is my partner, Arthur Wolfson. Arthur, how are you doing today? We're doing well, Chris. We're making our way through the year, and uh, I think we got some interesting MSHA activity. Who knows, maybe even a shutdown coming up. Yeah, I saw that report this morning there. I don't know if they're playing a game of chicken, but um, yeah, we'll see what... (laughs) What happens with the government shutdown? So, give us a chance to get caught up, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, there has been a a flurry of MSHA activity, hasn't there? All right. Well, on this episode, we've got a special guest with us, a Mr. Joseph Riney from the Nevada Mining Association, and Joe is the vice president of operations. And he's going to give us an inside look at what Nevada Mining Association is and what it does. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. It's uh, it's great to be on the show, and uh, I'm super excited to do this. This is my first podcast, so oh, super excited. No, it's a lot of fun, but I thought today would be a good opportunity to kind of peek behind the curtain of what Nevada Mining Association is and, and what it does. So in the interest of full disclosure, so I am on the board of directors for the Nevada Mining Association. We call it MVMA, and I've been involved with the association, have worked closely with Joe on many association initiatives for, shoot, what is it, been over a decade now. And many of the association's programs are near and dear to my own heart. So that being said, let's get into this. So Joe, can you tell us a little bit of your background and how you became involved in the Nevada Mining Association? Yeah, Chris, my background is actually not in mining at all. Uh, My background was initially in IT, where I worked as a system administrator for the largest law firm in Nevada at the time. And then before that, I worked for Microsoft. And so I have an IT background. But initially, when I was brought over, I was brought over for that purpose to really assist the association in getting up to date and updating their technology and all of that that goes with that. That didn't stay that way for very long. I was quickly transitioned into quite a few other areas and have been learning since. Yeah, that's great. You know, I know, uh, I think I first met you in your work with the with the safety committees. So let's I guess we could transition then into how did you become involved in the NVMA, Joe? Uh, I was brought over to NVMA by Congressman, now Congressman Mark Amaday, when he became president in 2007. He asked me to come over to do a complete overhaul of all their information technology systems. And slowly over the years, I've worked with many other presidents who've had a different vision or style, slowly adding uh, more areas of focus to my plate from education, workforce development to safety and health, and now currently operational excellence. And so what's the what's your mission and, and what do you do? So NVMA, the Nevada Mining Association, is a 501c6, which is known as a membership-based business league. The Nevada Mining Association has existed for more than 100 years, first established in 1913 as the Nevada Mine Operators Association. And then we changed to the Nevada Mining Association in 1952. We cover everything from debating policy matters in the state, legislature, uh, local governments, to uniting the voice of the industry in public relations. We also can be seen in all corners of the state, so we represent the entire state of Nevada. The Nevada mining industry is spread out in one of the largest, most sparse states in the union. It is an industry with unique needs and encompasses a diverse and wider-ranging array of different professions. The Nevada Mining Association is able to serve the needs of those member companies and speak with a united voice for the gold miners in Elko, the geothermal well drillers in rural valleys, the parts distributors in Las Vegas, and the geological engineers in Reno, and the tens of thousands of other Nevadans who rely on mining to support their families every day. Well, that sounds like a lot. 
So your role in the organization, how do you make all that happen? So my role has morphed over the years. Again, originally starting in IT, uh, picking up education pretty quick on uh, and developing in our annual workshop teacher program. So we produce two teacher workshops every year. Uh, we have about 100 teachers per workshop who come, learn, get a PDE credit for attending. It's completely free. They visit a mine site. They learn about geology. It's an excellent program. From there, when Tim Crowley became president, he said, hey, you can't just do IT. We need you to do something else, too. So uh, he actually assigned me to safety and health. And so from there, I worked on my safety and health expertise and being able to support our mine operators and our suppliers here in Nevada. And then a little bit later, when Dana Bennett came on, she assigned to me workforce development. And then that's when I started gaining an experience with things like WIOAS, state workforce boards, governor's workforce development board, and working on pipeline programs to develop additional recruiting into the mining industry. And then finally, when Tyree Gray was president, I was promoted to vice president of operations. And now my work uh, no longer includes education, but my primary focus is really about members, helping them get the most value out of the association and making sure we're attentive to the needs and building programs or events that bring both value to operators and our supply chain members. And then essentially, I manage everything internally focused at our membership, internal policies, internal staff development, things of that nature. I will say I never worked a day in the mines, but that's not true because, oh, about 2013, 2014-ish, I wanted to experience what it's like to be a miner. And so I worked with one of our contract companies, Red Path Mining, and they actually took me out to one of the mines, one of their underground mines that they worked at. And I worked with them for about a month underground so I can get an idea of what the day-to-day -day operations look like to be a miner. What are the tasks? What are the operations? How are we looking at safety? Uh, and, and that really allows me to be a better representative for the mining industry. So Joe, what are some lessons that you learned from that month? I'm sure that was a pretty impactful experience. What were some of the takeaways? Well, my first takeaway is don't go to Fairbanks, Alaska in December. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty cold. Um, so it was an interesting experience, but no, learning um, how they did their workplace examinations, how, how they tracked hazards that they spotted uh, in their working environment, how they mitigated those hazards, how they forwarded them up to their supervisors, working with the shifters, getting to be on a blast crew and, and getting to really explore all of those areas. I also broke a very expensive piece of equipment. Uh, luckily, one of our members supplies those parts and we were able to help them get that fixed. Yeah, I can just say it always amazes me when I go underground. You mentioned how the miners are able to detect hazards so quickly. And I can think of going underground in, in a hard rock mine and somebody was able to spot a piece of loose roof. It didn't look any different to me, but they knew exactly what that roof was supposed to look like. And there was just a little piece out of place and they had to come get somebody to take care of it. So, well, you know, you as a lawyer, uh, as an attorney, you would, you would be able to spot that error in a, in a document really quick. That's true. Really, when you when you work in an industry, whatever your industry is, you are the expert and, and it's you that knows. And hey, at the end of the day, it's your health and your safety that's, that's at risk there. And so really knowing how to mitigate those hazards, how to spot those hazards, and when not to even enter that headache is key. Absolutely. You've explained a lot here, Joe, in terms of the many hats you wear and the roles that you play within the association. What's What's a typical day or a week look like for you? So with my expanded role as VP of operations, no two days look the same. I'm spread between addressing safety and health questions and concerns, 
onboarding new members to the association, managing our database, getting that uh, cleaned up and worked into shape, working on our operational excellence programs. I also do, you know, budgeting and website maintenance, contract management, as well as engage with our entire membership. Additionally, I draft most of NVMA's internal policies, manage our employees onboarding and things of that nature. So no two days look the same. And and that's been pretty, pretty consistent throughout my career with NVMA. And I will be honest, it is probably my favorite part of the job. If you came into work every day and did the same exact thing every single day, that would be a pretty boring work life. So the fact that I'm jumping around, I'm, I'm able to work on so many different things and be involved in so many different areas and to be able to assist our mine operators and our vendors is just, it's uh, it's an excellent fit for me. And I, I really love uh, and enjoy being able to do such a diverse work environment. Uh, Joe, just circling back on, on some of your education pieces, are there any actions that you're taking specifically for you know, educating the, the Nevada public, if you will, on what mining does and, and how that works. Absolutely, Chris. So that's one of the major areas that uh, NVMA focuses on. Although that is not my side of the house, we have uh, a second vice president. So my vice president role is really on internal focused items, membership, uh, the team, and, and and giving benefits to our members. Where. Nikki, who is the vice president of external affairs, uh, is actually on a plane back from D.C. today. She is uh, in charge of the public facing side of things. But the teacher education workshops, we've been doing those for over 33 years, uh, one in the north, one in the south. And, and that's really one of those things that, that it shows the teachers what mining does. So for Nevada curriculum, fourth grade, they talk about mining in a very light way, just based on historic. So it's all about the history of mining, not the modern mining industry. And so one of the key focuses for the Nevada Mining Association is really introducing people to the modern mining industry. Because when you say mining, one of two images pop into your mind if you do not know mining. It's Steve from Minecraft, or it's a burrow and a pickaxe. And at the end of the day, I, I haven't seen a burrow on a mine site ever, except maybe some mines near Beatty, Nevada, and that's just because burrows are wild down there. <laughs> But really the challenge is, is educating the public and really showing them what mining does, how safely we do it, our environmental stewardship. We take all of these things into paramount consideration. We do not break ground unless we have a complete environmental plan, an approved process, and a bond pool sitting with the Nevada Division of Minerals. Uh, just in case that mine operator walks away, the money is there for those reclamation components. And so really educating the public is of one of our paramount concerns. Talking about some of our workforce development programs, we've got Mining Vegas for Talent. Mining Vegas for Talent is a program built from um, one of the key legislative bills that came out of the legislature, I want to say probably two legislatures ago. And that was all about creating opportunities for uh, some of the harder hit zip codes after COVID in the um, Las Vegas area. So we stepped right up. We were one of very few organizations who stepped up and built something around that. What we built was a program that allowed people to come into the mining industry who had absolutely no experience in mining. In fact, when we were doing the recruiting, the resumes, the workshops, we were looking not at their work career. We were looking at who they are as a person, where do they fit, what are they involved with, and how can they really be a part of our industry. And so that program brought them in, provided housing, took them up north to the mines, offered them $100,000 a year career with no experience needed. 
And it was life-changing for the folks that have been involved in that program since. And we estimate that that it's actually brought in about $1.7 million a year from just that program because these folks live in Las Vegas. So that paycheck and that income really goes straight to Las Vegas. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really powerful program. I've talked to a couple of individuals that were hired through that. It was pretty amazing to see their, I don't know if the right word is to describe it, this humble reaction of being exposed to this industry and they're overwhelmingly positive, right? Like I can't imagine, you know, having done this a year ago or six months ago or whatever it might be, but yeah, I think that's a particularly cool and impactful program that you guys have there. We have another program actually that's uh, pretty innovative as well, in my opinion. It's uh, our 360 internship program. So what that program does is takes college students that are working on maybe an environmental degree, an engineering degree, metallurgy, something like that. And it has them intern at a mine operation for seven weeks. And then they transition and they actually work for the BLM for three weeks. And that offers them a little bit of insight into what does it look like to be on the mine operation side? And then what does it look like to be on the federal side of things? And so A, it helps them identify maybe maybe pitfalls or challenges between the two processes from each perspective and offers insights to the mine operator or to the, uh, the BLM folks. But additionally, it helps guide them in their career choice, right? Do they want to work for the regulatory side or do they want to work on the industry side? So that's an excellent program, one that we've been running for about three years and, and we're quite proud of as well. Joe, you mentioned safety as part of one of the things you do. And, you know, we have our listeners are pretty attuned to safety issues. So can you tell us a little bit about both what some of the issues are that your membership faces when it comes to safety, especially in this in these times? And then what's your association doing to support them in response? So I think we we are facing the same issue as most of the industry at this point, um, with, with silica being top of mind for most everybody. And as with everybody else in the industry, our current concern right now is focused on the proposed silica rulemaking from MSHA, which you guys are well aware of with your interview for, with DJ Schultz. It just has far-reaching implications throughout the industry. Uh, working through the proposed rule, we've outlined many pitfalls within the rule. While we are in complete agreement with the 50 microgram per cubic liter PEL, there's other issues that really impact the actual level. The formula being an eight-hour time-weighted average, the medical surveillance components, the scope of sampling. In Nevada, we have some of the largest mining companies in the world, but we also have over 130 mine operations that are considered and meet small mine definition. We have significant concerns on the impacts on those small mines, being able to keep up with the heavy regulatory compliance components of the proposed rule. The upcoming rulemaking on mobile equipment is less of a concern for us as most of the mines already have plans in place, but we do foresee minimal impacts with that rulemaking. And then lastly, one of my, my favorite areas is emergency response. And we are heavily involved in the mine rescue community, hosting national and regional events uh, in cooperation with our Nevada operations. So we are looking at hosting a large surface competition in 2025. Uh, in conjunction with MSHA and the Homes Mine Rescue Association. So pretty excited about that uh, and some of that work that's happening there with the uh, emergency response piece. Because at the end of the day, these folks train aggressively. They train hard. They have a lot of requirements they have to meet. But at the same time, they don't get to utilize those skills outside of a scenario-based training situation. And so that's a great opportunity for them to really leverage those skills, show off what they can do, highlight the training they've received, and you know, collect a trophy at the end for the best teams. 
So we love to support those type of endeavors. Yeah, I've been present at a couple of those competitions and it is amazing to see everything that goes into that, right? And I think most striking, and then Joe, I think you touched on this, is is the pride those those individuals, men and women, feel and take when they're doing this mind rescue stuff, right? I mean, it's just it's pretty amazing how much goes into that. Yeah, very few mind rescue emergency response people are actually compensated for that. It's it's more like a volunteer fire department. Um, you may have, you know, somebody running the department. That person's an employee. That's what they focus on. Your coordinators, that's what they focus on. But most of your team is going to be regular miners. They're electricians. They're geologists. They might be engineers. Uh, it, they could be from any role in any department within that mine. And so they're going above and beyond. They're devoting a lot of hours to training, being prepared, picking up more classes than they expected. This is all on top of their normal workday. And so definitely it's a, it's an opportunity for them to really highlight those skills and those challenges. Can you tell me more about your experience at the national competition? What, what did you do exactly there? <laughs> so I actually volunteered in a couple of scenarios, one of which I was a, I was a pumper. And so it was a, a first aid scenario where we had an, an injured individual, you know, it was mocked up obviously. Right. And, uh, uh, an injured individual where uh, a my rescue team had to come in and quickly assess the situation, assess the severity of injuries. Where were those injuries? And and so as a pumper, my my job was to actually um, pump a you know fake blood pumping out of a wound. And so one of the tests was how quickly could they identify this particular condition and address that medical condition and, and react to it. And so yeah, I was able to see firsthand, you know, just in terms of what these teams go through to identify an individual. And, and it was pretty amazed that, you know, obviously, like you said, they, none of these guys are doctors, right? They're, they're mine personnel of various capacities, but um, yeah, their first aid training was very impressive to see. I think, I think the running joke was, you know, so in Elko, Nevada, if you want to ever have a heart attack or something at go to the Walmart because there'll, there'll probably be like 10 EMTs in the Walmart that, can immediately respond and, and probably save your life. So, And that's a great opportunity to really highlight, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that we see. So I-80 corridor goes through Nevada. If you haven't been to Nevada, there's not much here. Uh, if you're driving down that I-80 corridor, you've got Reno, Nevada, when you first come into the state. And then an hour away from there, you've got, uh, you know, Lovelock. And then an hour from there, you've got Winnemucca, another hour, Battle Mountain, and then another hour, Alco. So it's a lot of sparse highways. And what we see in the industry is just general motorists going up and down the street when they have an issue on I-80. It's miners almost always who are the first responders on the scene and providing care and treatment or helping them. Maybe it's a flat tire, but maybe it's a heart attack. Uh, and we've seen many individuals whose lives were saved because miners have those, those paramount training to be able to respond should another miner have an issue, they're trained as a first responder. And so oftentimes the first on the scene is a mining truck on its way to or from the mine site with a couple of miners in there and they offer treatment and they save those lives. And we'd love to get those stories. They're, they're heart touching. So training is key. Well, Joe, you mentioned in terms of your top priorities from a safety perspective, is there anything specific to Nevada that the role poses any issues for that you see? So the challenge with Nevada is we represent non-metal and metal mines. 
we have brine operations, we have hard rock, we have no coal. So this is the first example we're seeing where MSHA is combining a coal and a metal non-metal rule together. And so that's really our challenge with that one, right? Is we have no coal, we have no standing on to defend or not defend anything coal related. And when the rule that we're going through is, you know, 50, 60% coal focused, it becomes quite a challenge, right? To mitigate those reasonings when we don't have an understanding of those reasonings because we have no experience with those. So that is our largest challenge, I think, at the end of the day is, is the MSHA-1 initiative and just how much coal is going to integrate with metal, non-metal, and how those rules are going to impact very different industries. I mean, I guess we have to wait and see what the rule says when it comes out, but how do you foresee NVMA helping its members address the issues that you identified? Yeah, so one of the strongest and really the best way to to help mine operators with disseminating this type of, a, of rulemaking with such a magnitude is it comes down to the Safety and Health Committee. So that Safety and Health Committee is a group of obviously volunteers from the mine operators and the vendors and various other segments of the industry who all come together and we talk about you know various issues, implementation, all of that. And so it's an opportunity really to come together and find a way to, hey, how are you going to address this? And this isn't going to apply to the silica rule. It will later once we know what the rule looks like. But an example I like to give of how the committee environment really can help a mine operator get to the solution faster than trial and error is during the winter months, a mine may have icicles building up outside of their maintenance shop, which presents a potential hazard. They could go through various trials, trial A, trial B, C, D, E, to find the solution that works best for them. But they can also come to a Nevada Mining Association meeting and say, hey, we're getting icicles on our truck shop. And you might have one company say, hey, we tried heat traces, we tried this, we tried that, and none of that worked, but this worked. So it's an opportunity from them to skip going to B, C, D, and get straight to E, which is the solution. And so it's just going to be the same with silica. You know, as we as we work through the silica rule, we will find, you know, where are those pitfalls? Where are the benefits? And then working together as an industry through the association will provide insights into how to really come into compliance and what works best as best practices. And I'm sure at the end of the day, we will end up producing a best practices in silica document to share with our operators, our vendors, so that they're prepared to... Uh, to be ready for the new rulemaking. So, Joe, looking down the road for a few years, what issues do you think may be on the horizon for mine operators in Nevada, and I guess the industry in general? Most of our operators attended our annual convention earlier this month, uh, where we heard from some really innovative speakers uh, on developing the workforce of the future. There's no question that technology will continue to develop and change the landscape of mining. Technology will change how we mine, where we mine, and with new technology, you'll also run into new challenges. Um, AI will play a key role in the future of mining and other industries. In fact, you're not actually interviewing me right now. You're talking to chat GPT. <laughs> Joking aside, well, technology can help. It can also be detrimental, as we saw with, uh, I believe it was the coal and the backup proximity detection systems having issues. So with technology also comes challenges. And so really navigating those challenges and being able to adapt and model what works and doesn't work uh, is going to be key. And that's, I think, is absolutely the future. Uh, additionally, Nevada is home of the only currently operating lithium mine. So lithium is really big for us. But lithium is also 
a rather new space, right, for the in the United States. We had one mine uh, up until this point, and now we've got several coming online here in Nevada, and there'll be several more. There's over 7,000 permits uh, that have been locked out for people exploring for lithium. So lithium will be the, the future of Nevada's mining industry, and so um, with that will come new challenges, new experiences, uh, new hazards, and and obviously new things to mitigate and work around. So that's that's what we're looking at for the future. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I was just reading a, an article in The Atlantic talking about one of the mining companies there in Nevada finding basically, you know, what they refer to as the mother load of, of lithium. So I think that's a really good point. It'll be interesting to see how that drives the industry. And frankly, we'll see how MSHA reacts to that. And it's it's all completely new, right? So some of the some of our mines here that are being developed currently and are already permitted and ready to go and starting to break ground and, and really build the mine, you know, they've had to do a lot of work to to get to this point. They have some very interesting ways of mining. It's a, it's a little bit different. It's considered a hard rock mine, but it's actually a clay. It's it's soft. It's very different. Um, and so obviously we're learning something new because the the existing mine that we've had for, for lithium here in Nevada is a brine operation, which is a completely different model. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about kind of the brine versus hard rock, especially in the lithium space, I think Venture Capitalist has a really good infographic on that that really highlights those differences. Joe, I think we got to switch gears and talk about one of everybody's favorite topics, and that's MSHA. So I guess as a leader in the association, do you have interactions with MSHA? And if so, what are your goals for that? And how do you go about interacting with the agency? So we try to keep our interactions with the agency proactive rather than reactive. You know, We want to have open communication. We want to sit down with them. We want to talk with them. Anytime we're doing something new or different, we want to scope it out. Uh, and I think a great example of that is we had uh, one of our mine operators do an autonomous haul truck program. Basically, they had an entire year's worth of overburden that had to be moved in order to access the actual ore body. And so what a great time to implement something like autonomous haul trucks. So we brought tech support out. We brought the district manager out. We brought some MSHA key officials from Arlington out. And we sat down with them, with the mine operator. We think we spent four hours in a room kind of hashing over, hey, this is what this looks like. We realize this is different. And here's how we're mitigating the hazards. It's all by itself on this one mine operation. And the only person besides them is the equipment operator up in the trailer. And then the shovel operator that's down in the pit who's loading those haul trucks. But really onboarding them, showing them what we were doing, how we planned ahead, looking at all of our field level risk assessments and how we've mitigated the hazards. So it's all about communication and keeping it a very positive working environment between MSHA and us. At the end of the day, their mission and our mission are not different. Uh, we're, we're both here to protect the miners. So Joe, obviously as a, as a state association, you're focused on the issues in your state and there's a number of state associations and I work with a few of them and they do an excellent job. And then there's also the national associations like NMA or NSSGA. What is sort of the the relationship, I guess? What's the role for the state association versus the national association? And and how do you work together with those national associations? That's a great question, Arthur. We work closely with uh, a lot of other trade associations, uh, mining-specific trade associations, as well as other associations. Um, some, some of those examples would be, you know, national national does a great job on the federal level. We try to keep what we do within the binds of the state of Nevada. So working really on state policy, 
and, and really state level matters. Although we are involved when it comes to federal matters, uh, a lot of that will fall to Nikki unless it's an MSHA issue, in which case it will fall to me. But at the end of the day, we work closely with National Mining Association to give them our perspective on potential rulemakings or anything that they're working on and those impacts within Nevada. We work with other state associations, whether that's just helping them figure out how to improve one of their programs or they call us up and say, hey, we really like these reverse expos that you do. And how do you do them? And so Arizona Mining Association just completed their first round of reverse expos, which is something we've been doing for about five to six years here. And they absolutely loved it. They found great success. Their members loved it. They got that from us. We've also helped Arizona help develop their education programs based on the models that we've used for education. Another thing we did in partnership with Colorado Mining Association and a couple other entities in Colorado is we developed an online teacher workshop. This was during COVID, right? So we had to cancel our teacher workshops. So we wanted to offer something to the teachers, in which case we worked with the other trade associations to create an online version of the workshops. And so that's just a couple key examples of how we work with other associations. An another great example would be rail. So rail is a, is a big concern for Nevada mine operators, but rail is more of a federal and broader issue. And so we're going to work closely with National Mining Association on their rail meetings moving forward so that we're representing our members on that level with NMA. Rail goes right through the heart of mining communities in Nevada. And so it's, it's a big, important piece to us. And so really just interfacing everywhere we can. Yeah, that's a lot going on, I guess. And uh, seeing it from both sides of the coin is, is, is really interesting. Well, and to add on that, Joe, I, not to undersell yourself, right? But I know you and I have traveled out to D.C. a couple of times to, to interface with the folks at Arlington, right? The MSHA folks in terms of regulatory issues. And I think maybe that's something, you know, perhaps even a lot of your members don't even realize in terms of what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, behind the scenes is always something because, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's a regulatory process and, and then there's phone calls and there's discussions that are had beyond the regulatory process. And so that's really a key area where we're able to really work with MSHA to develop sound policy when it comes to things like that. And I, I believe the, the trip you're referring to was all about refuge chambers and the potential for a program policy letter to come out that was going to redefine where refuge chambers needed to be, how far from the working face. And, and those requirements, well, having a good reason behind them and uh, for protecting the miners were pretty challenging and actually led to what we thought would be uh, a detrimental effect on health and safety. If you're constantly moving around refuge chambers and there is an emergency where a miner has to find a refuge chamber, instead of that refuge chamber being where it always has been and knowing exactly where it is and exactly how to get to it, they're now trying to figure out where it's been moved to because of that program policy letter. And so really highlighting that and, and working hard, that was a key issue for our Nevada mines. And so we were represented there uh, in person, interfacing. Uh, we also attend other DC meetings. Like I mentioned earlier, Nikki's on a flight back today from DC. She's been there all week, interfacing with legislators and various other community stakeholders. And so uh, we, we do keep a presence in federal uh, regulatory environment in D.C., but we also try to leave it to NMA when we can. Yeah, I just I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's it's a good example of how NVMA really has their finger on the pulse of, you know, OK, maybe it's a federal issue, a federal regulatory issue. But 
you guys have your your finger on the pulse just to determine okay what is the what's going to be your any potential impacts on Nevada mining. All right, and then finally, Joe, what's NVMA's vision for the future? What do you plan for upcoming issues facing mining in Nevada? So I I would be remiss if I didn't plug in our vision here at this point, uh, which is Nevadans embracing the mining industry as forward-thinking, respected, and essential for a vibrant future. And really, that comes down to our vision, right? It's it's educating Nevadans on what does the mining industry do? Because we're we're a bit of a mystery. We haven't done a good job in these past decades of telling our story. We, we got great folks. The folks are are the heart of the industry. And as you guys are both well aware, you work with the industry, you know miners are the salt of the earth people. And really, they're just some of the best people on the planet. I was supposed to be in this job for one year. Here I am, six days past my 15-year mark. I stuck around because of the people. Once you start to meet and interface with the community, it's it warms your heart. They're just great people. And so our vision for the future is obviously embracing technology, moving forward with how can technology improve mining? How can technology improve the safety of miners while not displacing the miners? And so what we talk about a lot when we look at things like autonomous haul truck programs or you know pit vipers out there, semi-autonomous equipment underground or really anything, the first concern for the miner is that's my job. What, what am I going to do? And so the focus there as we move forward into the future is upscaling those miners into a different role that is, uh, you know, they may find a better fit or they may not find a better fit, but finding the right fit for them and what that looks like for them. So that's an important part of as we move forward and embrace technology and optimize operations is, you know, protecting the miners, their careers and their livelihoods. That is certainly forward looking. So I'll give you sort of the last word here, Joe, before we wrap up. Any concluding thoughts you'd like our listeners to hear about issues you're dealing with or that Nevada's dealing with or that the mining industry in general is dealing with? So I think actually, you know, right now we're, we're through the proposed rulemaking uh, on Celica. So it's kind of a wait and see what happens with that. That's that's obviously first and foremost on my mind um, is where that ends up. And then obviously once we see that proposed final rule, we can start to make our adjustments and know what we look like going forward. Um, I would be remiss though, if I didn't talk about some of the other benefits of being in a trade association, right? Offering you an environment uh, through the committee meeting venues to talk about what keeps you up at night and, and getting to that answer because you have a room full of experts, whether it's an IH question, an emergency response, a regulatory, uh, or it's just a general safety and health question. Having an opportunity to sit down in a group environment and talk about the things that are keeping you up and getting to the answer and getting to the solution and finding the help that you need. So that's really the the key role that trade associations play is bringing everybody together to, to focus on the problem and get to the solution. And, and then that's one thing that's very important. And so if you are a Nevada Mining Association member or a National Mining Association member, definitely participate in the various committees and venues that are available to you as you move forward. I would also be remiss if you're a Nevada Mining Association member, you actually get to talk with Arthur or Chris Peterson at any point. We have a retainer in place and a partnership that allows uh, all Nevada Mining Association members to call up Fisher Phillips and ask a question, whether it's uh, something to do with labor, whether or not you can terminate an employee, whether or not you need to do something different, or maybe it's an MSHA question, maybe it's an OSHA question. Whatever that question is, you get to call them. It, you don't get a bill for it. And so 
it's a great opportunity. Chris, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really important benefit to highlight, right? A lot of folks may not be aware of that. You know, we've gotten several calls just on some basic issues. And yeah, we're absolutely happy to help. Uh, you know, we've got uh, lawyers there in Nevada that can address, you know, specific issues regarding Nevada law. And then certainly, you know, Arthur and I, we, we answer all of the the mine safety related compliance questions that come in. So yes, I, I would encourage all members to take advantage of that benefit. And it's as simple as a phone call, right? It's, it's an informal discussion saying, Hey, what's going on with this? What should we do? Uh, and so we can advise on most MSHA compliance issues. And if we don't know, we'll find out someone who does, we'll, we'll be able to channel those folks to, you know, local council or, or whoever there in Nevada that we've got, we've got a Las Vegas office and we've got another attorney up there in, in Reno now that are really great, you know, super responsive, super knowledgeable. And yeah, uh, it's a great, it's a great benefit. So get involved with your local trade association, uh, whichever trade association that is, but obviously consider the Nevada Mining Association when you're looking for a, a trade association to be involved with. But other than that, I just want to thank you guys for having me on today. This was a, a very fun experience. Uh, it's great to put a face behind Arthur and to see you again, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. It's been a good discussion. We certainly enjoyed it, and I certainly learned a lot about what you do and what state associations do. Yeah, I'll, I'll highlight something that Joe brought up. Just good people on all levels, right? I mean, just seeing the people that are in charge running these mines, running these companies, down to haul truck operators or whoever it might be, but just great people overall. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. If you guys have any questions, any of our listeners have any questions or want to reach out to Joe, right? Whether that's membership enrollment, there's definitely a lot of benefit here, right? To joining the NVMA and don't hesitate to reach out to either, you know, Joe or, or myself or even Arthur, we can obviously point you in the right direction. So yeah, thank you, Joe, for joining us. I thought that was a great discussion and so thanks again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.